Hey everybody, this is Hunter Howard. I'm the lead pastor of Encounter Church. Here at Encounter Church, our vision is helping people encounter God. And that's what I pray and hope for you today, that you will encounter God through this message. Enjoy. Many of you know that uh, since October, I've been really struggling with, uh, with my health. Um, I, 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 up until now, I'm the healthiest person I know. <laughs> so... Uh, it's been it's been it's been tough since October. I've had several issues with my health, and uh, recently, several at least five of my spiritual leaders, mentors, spiritual fathers, and now a couple of medical doctors have told me your only problem is that you never stop. You never stop. You never stop working. <laughs> That's supposed to be God, not me, right? And that the cure for me to get my body back totally healthy is that I need to take uh, an extended period of rest and relaxation. So after being told that for four months, I'm going to take a, a step back a little bit. And I shared this with, uh, with, with, with Chip here a few weeks ago. And I want you guys to know that they rearranged another commitment today to come be with Encounter Church, okay? And they have a heart for, for us, for our family. They have a heart for Encounter Church. In fact, there's a lot closer relationship than a lot of you know. Like, they've had prayer meetings in here and some of you didn't even know about it. And this isn't the first time they've shared with us. But um, I could say a whole lot, but, but Chip and Hope Bueller are seasoned in the apostolic ministry, their ministry is apostolic, they've been missionaries, they've planted churches, and today, and this is what I felt, you're going to receive, Encounter Church family, you're going to receive an apostolic deposit and impartation today. So, I want you guys to give your very best, warmest Encounter Church welcome to Hope and Chip Bueller. Thank you. Thank you for taking time and rearranging your schedule to be with us. Well, it is an honor to be with y'all again. Um, I feel like when I step in here, it's like one big pep rally. Oh. <laughs> I, can t I can tell I'm a little older because I don't nearly have the energy that's exuding from here from the point of the parking lot where somebody's waving at me like, you are so welcome here. Uh, and uh, we get to go to a lot of different churches, and it's an honor, honestly, to see the fullness of the body of Christ functioning. But one of my favorite things is when I get to feel as welcomed as you all make us feel, um, because that's not everywhere. Not every church is friendly. Not every church is welcoming. And um, that is sad. <laughs> And um, so it's exciting to be a part with you. And just one quick thing that I just want to share. Um, even as the baby dedications were happening, I just felt like God wanted to remind many of you that even if at your birth you weren't dedicated unto the Lord, when you were reborn in Christ, you were dedicated to the Lord. And God wants you to know that he is speaking a word over your life. And so I just want to encourage you to hear what that word is of what he's saying over you, 
Because as your heavenly father, he is blessing you with that word. That is how he has designed you. That is what he is saying over you. And that is what he has blessed you with. And then, um, will you, will you quote the verse that, that I felt this morning? My favorite Bible verse is 2 Chronicles 716. Um, our ministry is called 2020 Vision, and we base it off of this verse and a few others. The reason for church, the reason for fasting, the reason for worship, for prayer, uh, for encounters with God, for supernatural manifestations, for all of it is in 2 Chronicles from the beginning up to 14, but most people never read the conclusion. What's the reason for all of it? 2 Chronicles 7, 16, that God's name, his heart, and his eyes will be with you forever. His name, his heart, and his eyes are what we get when we gather together. So when I was praying for you all this morning, knowing we were going to be here, God brought that scripture to my heart. And that's what I believe that he is speaking over you. That he has set you all apart so that his name will be with you. And many of the songs we were singing about was his name. And he is establishing his name among you, and his eyes and his heart are with you. And that is what he is blessing you with today. Yes, and I will pray. So, Lord, we just release that word. Lord, we thank you for the apostolic gift that is upon my husband. Lord, we thank you for the seeds of truth, Lord, that are to be planted even deeper in this body. Lord, we pray that you would breathe life on the word of truth, Lord, as it is spoken, Lord, that it would be anointed. Lord, we pray that hearts here would have good soil to receive the fullness of your word, Lord, that it would bring forth to fruition your intended purpose in their heart, in their minds, in their marriages, in their families, Lord, and in all the places that they go. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Wonderful. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Acts 9, verse 1 through 20. I like to read lots of Bible verses, get the whole story. Sometimes we need more word and less opinion. <laughs> we love Pastor Hunter and Liz. I tell you, if, I tell people if we didn't travel every weekend, this would be my home church. We make it here, I think, about four times a year. Sometimes we sneak in late in the back row. And uh, we, we would love to be with you more often, but we're still on assignment traveling and, and speaking and serving and just love the leadership. Um, I did campus ministry for years, and by accident, we birthed churches. It can happen by accident, and it can last when God's in it. And after going to about 100 campuses doing outreaches and then birthing some churches by accident, I decided to pastor one of them. Um, God convicted us to pastor. I didn't want to be a pastor. Um, I wanted to be a missionary or an evangelist, and God convicted us uh, to marry, to grow in faith, and in maturity and in character and to serve and shepherd uh, people. And we committed to that. Uh, after a handful of years, the church we planted there was planting other churches and put us in travel ministry to go to lots of missions, uh, lots of nations, 40, 50 nations and outreach and training and church planting. And, and in the process, um, we transitioned here to Atlanta for the airport. I came here to plan a church downtown, but to get a nonstop flight to any city in the world, any capital city. And uh, three months after we arrived, 9-11 happened. 
So right after we settled in for the airport, the airports shut down and God transitioned us and, and we felt that he was speaking to us to serve churches, to strengthen Christians, to serve churches, and in particular, to train and equip the next generation of leaders and to serve church planners. That put us in relationship with your pastors. Our heart is with you. Uh, the three churches that I planted were just like this. We feel so at home. Of course, in my 50s, after all my football surgeries, I can't dance like Pastor Hunter can. I get to sway. Or if you see me, if I'm really going, I just get one foot going, right? Because I got no cartilage in my knees, no discs in my back, all kinds of stuff from football. So maybe while we're preaching, God will replace those so I can dance a little better. But we love you all. We pray for you, we think of you, and we are thrilled to be with you. The Damascus Road, the normal Christian life, we're going to look at apostolic teaching of lordship for our life and our leadership and service. Chapter 9, verse 1, bunch of verses. Then Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Lordship is the beginning of the story. Went to the high priest. They asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, everybody say the way, way. whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As they journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly, everybody say suddenly, suddenly a light shone round about him from heaven. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, if God ever repeats himself, he's going to get your attention. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Lordship is the purpose of this message and this example in the scripture. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goad. So he trembled, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? You could just write that down. We're done today. If you get that and you walk out of here and you live it, you got your word. Lord, what do you want me to do? I'll just let you hold on to that for just a minute. The men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. He was there three days and nights. He didn't eat or drink. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord, Lordship, said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. That's another way to respond. So the Lord said to him, Arise, go to the street called Straight, inquire of the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come in and put his hand on him so he can get his sight. And Ananias said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints, your church in Jerusalem. And there he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, that's the lost, before kings, that's leaders, and the children of Israel. And I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me to you to receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, 
and he received his sight at once and was baptized. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he preached that Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. This is the example of a normal Christian life. A normal life built on the experiencing the truth of the word of God, encountering the living God, and walking it out. Paul is that example for us. The Bible is full of patterns. The first thing we're looking at here is this is a pattern story. It's an example. Paul is the best example of learning to be a trophy of grace. 1 Timothy 1.16, he said that in me, God showed grace and mercy for an example for all who will believe after me. Paul's not just the example of an apostle or a cross-cultural missionary or a church planning leader. He's a picture of the truths revealed for every one of our normal Christian lives. It's a pattern. And patterns are given in the word. We find in this not just a pattern example of a Christian life, but of experiencing and living the truth of the word of God. 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14. Some of Paul's last words, he writes, keep the apostolic pattern. The sound words, the biblical truths that the apostles passed on to us and guard the spiritual deposit, the treasure that you've been given by the Holy Ghost that's within you. Keep the pattern, guard the deposit. So individuals in the scripture can be an example. Corinthians tells us all, 1 Corinthians 10, all of the Old Testament stories were written for our encouragement as examples to us so that we would be blessed to be challenged, admonished, and walk forward in the purposes of God. And our story picks up on the way. The people in the early church were not called Christians. They were called people of the way. See, we don't talk about ways very much. Ways are connected to patterns and paths. Did you know the word way is the fourth most used word in the Bible? The way of the Lord. Jesus is the way before he's the truth. The people in the early church were called people of the way. They were pattern people. They were models. They were examples. They were encouragers. They were challengers. People saw them and it confronted the way that they lived and the way they thought. And this story invites us to be people of the way once again. You know, God's ways are above our ways and his thoughts above our thoughts. The two ways God is most different in his ways is in how and why. It's not just what God does that makes him so different in his ways. It's how he does it is different than how you or I would do it. And why he does it is different than you and I would do it. That's what makes his ways so different. And he begins by saying, I want you to follow my way. And so this is the normal Christian life, but this also was the example of lordship. This chapter speaks of the Lord 14 times. That's the most used word in the Bible is Lord, 7,500 times. God puts his emphasis there. So he wants us to follow a pattern of lordship, the way of lordship in our lives. But there's another thing that's happening in this. See, this is the most famous conversion in history. We call these life-changing encounters with God Damascus Road experiences because of what Paul goes through here. But what I want you to see is prophetically, it speaks to us in our generation. People would call this a sudden conversion when suddenly God shows up. It actually wasn't a sudden conversion. It was a sudden surrender. 
He had been convicted and struggling in his conscience for many years. You got to understand it's no different than our day. And that's why it's such a prophetic picture that he's raised in Hellenistic Tarsus, where he is a man formed by Greek culture, Greek philosophy, Greek intellectualism, Greek art. And then he's sent to Jerusalem to study under the Pharisee Gamaliel, where he's trained in right-wing conservative Judeo values and truths and mentored from the two opposite ends of the spectrum. Damascus is the heart and the capital of Syria. It's where all three caravan routes of the Middle East come. It's a place that's a, a big city that's a mixture of Greek philosophy and art and humanism with Hebrew religion, and it's at war. It's in conflict. It's a nation and a generation that's divided, antagonistic, critical, and full of disunity. And what God wants to do with an example of lordship is have an answer for a culture like ours. Extreme right and extreme left. Liberal and conservative. In Jesus' day, it's the exact same issue. The Sadducees and the Sanhedrin were Hellenistic, liberal Jews. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe the Bible. They didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in afterlife. There's a lot of those around us. And then there was legalistic right-wing conservatives, the Pharisees, and they were at war, and Jesus came in between. I'm just telling you, there is an answer for this generation. When we talk about lordship, we're talking about Jesus' authority, life-changing power, and anointing for all of your life. For all of your life. All authority for all people, in all places, in all generations, no opinions needed. This is the stuff that matters. And so a gospel that can't deal with the issues of our day and our generation is no gospel at all. But the gospel of the Lord Jesus and the gospel of the kingdom deals with it. And that's the foundation we have for following his pattern. But it's not enough to know there's an example for us, like all of that stuff. So it separates from young and old and rich and poor and black and white and yellow and brown and and the ins and the outs and the haves and the have-nots. In lordship, it's all done away with. We're all in him, right? But it's not enough just to hear the truth. We've got to experience it. Encounter church, this story doesn't work and lordship means nothing if you don't encounter it, experience it, and if you're not changed by it. Suddenly, everything in Paul's life changed and he surrendered. Suddenly, after years of battling, even when Stephen was stoned and he was holding people's clothes a few chapters earlier, When he was doing that, Stephen was preaching against the left-wing liberal Sadducees and their belief system saying, go back to the word, go back to revival, go back to God's truth. And Paul's standing there while he's getting stoned and he's got the same war going on inside of him. He's battling between the two. It gets to his conscience. And that's where all of a sudden he experiences suddenly. Think about the suddenly. Suddenly, I'm arresting people who believe in this Jesus. Suddenly, Jesus is alive. Suddenly, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Oh, you're here. (laughs) See, personal encounters work like this. For people outside of here looking for something to eat today or sleeping in, there's an existential question about life and meaning The question for people out there is, is God really out there? Is he really out there? 
Well, the existential question for people that are in church is the lordship question. No, it's the question is not, is he out there? Is God really right here, yeah. right now, as who he is for everybody all the time? Yes. He's no respecter of persons. He's not different with us than he was with Daniel, than he was with Paul, than he was with Jesus, right? He's here right now. That was Paul's first lordship revelation. He's here. He's alive. He's with us. Suddenly, the light shining. Oh, I'm Jesus. Oh, that's the Lord. He's not dead, not disgraced, but in heavenly glory. He spoke in Hebrew to him, brought a twofold revelation to Paul through the lordship that Jesus is Lord and he is one with his body, the church, the Christians. See, for Paul, he goes, man, Jesus is alive and he's here right now and he is Lord. And then all of a sudden he goes, yeah, but I'm the one you're persecuting. Paul didn't think he was persecuting Christ. He thought he was persecuting Christians. So Jesus gives the revelation at Lordship that I am one with you. If they mess with you, they mess with me. It gives you a whole different perspective of Holy Spirit fellowship, koinonia fellowship that we have and the purpose that we have together in our experiences with him that sometimes when God wants to give gifts, he wraps it in a person and you receive of him by the person that's in the body that's next to you. We receive ministry one to another. But brothers and sisters, we gotta encounter him. We've gotta experience him in the Lordship and see that he's in the church and in the Christian relationships. And then we surrender just like Paul did. When we encounter him, I love this. J.T. Smith said in 1890, only in proportion as we actually experience and touch the Lord Jesus. Only as we realize his person, his finished work, his manifest presence, shall we go forward from this place changed and blessed. Apart from him, nothing. But in him and with him, everything necessary for present and future is ours. We must seek him, see his face, hear his voice, do what he says, and receive the secret of the supernatural blessing. You know, the earliest creed was Christ as victor. The Old Testament is full of Yahweh and Adonai, the Lord God of the universe. The New Testament, Kyrios in the Greek, and historically it was Christ as victor. It was the earliest Christian creed. It was Latin saying, Jesus is Lord. That was their whole doctrinal system. Everything else was just fruit from that. Jesus is Lord. Christ has bound Satan. He's dethroned the powers of evil. He's utterly destroyed and will remove evil at his consummation, the resurrection. So Christ dethroned demonic powers through his death and his resurrection. The power of Satan is now limited. The kingdom of God is now right here. His authority and reign is right here. That close. And the kingdom is in you if you're with him, if you're in him. See, faith in Jesus Christ as Lord is that he's the ultimate ruler of history. He's the beginning and he's first, but he's the ruler. He's the authority, king of kings, Lord of lords over all of life, in all of life. Can break the deceiving, twisting politics, economic, social, spiritual, moral issues. He can break through in those. It's a powerful thing. So lordship terms are about 10,000 times in the Bible. Kingdom terms, the four or five words on kingdom is about 20,000 times in the Bible. It is the overwhelming emphasis 
and first place that God wants us to go to. When you know he's Lord, it changes everything. Changes everything. See, if, if he says, follow me, and you recognize he's Lord, you trust and obey, and now you're his disciple. That's Christianity summed up on the two sides of, of responding. And so it's important for us as we encounter him, as we experience him, that we surrender to his purposes and we trust and obey him and allow his authority and his anointing to come through us. When have you encountered him or experienced him? And the first time for me was when I was 12. I went to Christian summer camps and things like that. And at 12 years old, my counselor would wake up uh, before everyone got out of their bunk beds and he would get on his knees and open his Bible and he would read scripture and he would pray for us 12 year olds in the cabin by name. And the first time I experienced the Holy Spirit, he was praying for me by name and praying the scripture over me. And I experienced God. And I later talked to him about it. And he said, why don't you take your Bible when you get up in the morning, go out and just ask God to talk to you. And man, I encountered Jesus that summer. I opened the Bible and for the first time, he wasn't trying to hang out with Zacchaeus. He was talking to me. I'm 12 years old reading the Bible out here all by myself at sunrise. And I go, Jesus is talking to me. This is, this, he's real. I mean, I had this Paul experience. This, for the first time, I wasn't reading something from 2,000 years ago. He was with me right here, right now, just like he was with them. You know, everything that God was in the Old Testament, Jesus was in the flesh in the Gospels. And every single thing Jesus was to any person in the Gospels, the Holy Spirit is to us right here, right now. Everything you read, the Holy Spirit is here in the spirit of lordship and the spirit of Christ to be that for us at this moment. And so at 21, I encountered, I had dreams and visions and I started getting convicted of a calling and I started experiencing the supernatural. And so at 12 and at 21, everything changed for me because it was all real. And that's what's happening with Paul here. Amy Carmichael, I once served at Donover in India on some of our missions I just wanted to read this and um, from the introduction of one of her books, Mimosa. This story is true. It tells the eternally new tale of the matchless charm of the Lord Jesus Christ. One look at that loveliness. And though the one who looked did not even remember his name was she was forever his and changed forever. Then she goes on to say, fear not at all. Where your hands cannot reach and your love cannot help, his hands can reach and his love can help. There is nothing to fear. Miles of space and solid walls, locked doors are nothing for love, nothing at all for our Lord. And then she says this, which really got my attention. All of a sudden, I experienced him. I knew not by faith now, but as it were by sight, that our Lord Jesus Christ can do anything. He can keep anyone. He can shine anywhere. He can help in spite of all the forces and circumstances, comfort in any circumstance. The material is powerless to cramp or subdue him. He is the king. The spirit of the Lord conquers every time. Her introduction to a testimony book was we experienced and encountered him and it changed everything. When you surrender and when your heart is converted and transformed by recognizing that he is Lord and he's alive, God raised him from the dead, 
Lordship is essential for salvation. It is the first part of all of that. When that happens in our life, it changes our perspective. Now his name, character and nature is on us. Now his heart is in our heart. His spirit comes to live in our heart and the law is written in our heart. And now we have his eyes, his vision, and gain his perspective on the world. And so the next part of our story is apostolic principles that we get out of this. You know, it's who Jesus was or who he is that made what he did so significant. It's the fact that he was Lord, that he was God in the flesh, that he was sinless, that, that when he did this, when he went to the cross, that it conquered and had power uh, to overcome in every situation. Acts 9, 5 through 12 are the verses in the middle of this story and the revealing lordship and the kingdom. So I've given you the law of frequency, which is one of the main ways you interpret the truth of the scripture. The most used words in the Bible are lordship and kingdom. The most used words in the book of Acts, 380 times, lordship and kingdom. The emphasis for Christian belief, Christian experience in life is lordship and the kingdom. So what exactly does that mean as a, as a truth? It simply means the first commandment is in first place. Lordship is I will have no other gods before him. First place. First command is also about first love. The fulfillment of the command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It comes from our uh, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 and other places. So it's first it's greatest, it's most. You know, as modern Americans, we mess up lordship because we're linear thinkers, we're Western mindset. So we go, okay, Jesus is Lord of my life, God is number one. And then maybe my family's number two. And then maybe, uh, you know, serving in my church is number three and my job. And then, see, don't we, don't we have a set of priorities? So I put him first, right? That's not Colossians 1, 18. That's not that in all things he might have the preeminence, that in all things he might have the supremacy. See, when we say lordship, we're not saying God's first. So I went to church Sunday and I tithe and I wake up in the morning and I have a 30-minute quiet time. I start my day, he's first. That's not lordship. Lordship is he's first in my devotions and he's most. Lordship is he's first in my marriage and he's most. Lordship is he's first in my parenting. He's first in my finances. He's first in my work life. He's first in my sins and failures. He's first, anything you can put on the list, he is first, most, and greatest of all of that. That's lordship. Preeminence, supremacy. He didn't say, oh, let him be king in a few things. <laughs> that in all things, he would have supremacy. He would have lordship. See, when you get a revelation that he is Lord, he is alive, he's here right now, makes me a child of God and a disciple of the Lord Jesus on mission, 70 or 80% of the problems in human life are gone when you have a revelation of lordship and you're living as a child of God and in discipleship. Most of the issues that are messing people up Still, when I go to pastor's conferences and we give altar calls, we don't try to think of some unique issue. Pastors are struggling with something and things aren't working. There's often a lordship or a discipleship issue or a love relational issue with them just like there is with us. And so when that gets put there, it changes everything. First command, first place, first love. 
you know, appointed and chosen or lordship terms. When Jesus called the disciples to become apostles, uh, Mark 3, 14, uh, he called to himself whom he wanted or desired, and he appointed 12. When we go to the Great Commission, in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 16 to 20, Matthew 16, other places, verse 16 begins the Great Commission. And it said that they all went to the mountain. The 11 and the disciples went to the mountain that Jesus had appointed. Everybody say appointed. See, if you're in lordship, you let him make first choice, first decision. And then you make choices and decisions off of that. To appoint or be chosen means he set or put you in a place. He ordered or assigned some things. He arranged, assigned. It literally means to choose, determine, decide. See, God wants us to go to him to say, what's your choice for my relationships? What have you decided for my work? What do you desire for my finances? Where do you want me to live? Where do you want? See, in America, we choose our church. The Bible says he sets you in the body as it pleases him. The level of New Testament apostolic Christianity is not I hope God likes me, it's I live to please him. Pleasure, joy of the Lord is my strength. There's a higher level. No, where do you want me to go to church? Where do you want me to live? When do you want me to take a new job? When do you want me to live? He appoints, he decides, he chooses. And then on the other side, we seek him and we make wise, godly choices for our life because he trusts us. See, God loves everybody. Unconditional love. There's a foundation of lordship relationship in love. That's already been preached, so I'm skipping those parts. I saw it on the website. Foundation of love. Did you know he loves you whether you trust him and obey him or not? He so loved the world. He loves the people who aren't at church today. I take it, take it as a dad. All three of my kids and two of them that are married, their spouses, they love Jesus. They're walking with God. We are so pleased and overjoyed with the choices and decisions they're making and that they've let Jesus be first, Lord, in their life. Okay? But if one of them chose to walk away from God or to live in sin or got arrested or ended up in a messed up life, I would not love them any less. Right? But I'm not pleased. The level of New Testament Christianity is not, I hope God likes me, it's I live to please him. See, it is, when you're in lordship, when you make a lordship thing and say, I surrender to you and I want you to be first place and you make these choices and decisions, what happens is God already loves you, but now he trusts you. And when you step into lordship, he will now entrust some things to you. Because when you move to that place, he goes, I can trust him just like I can with my son. He's making good decisions. I can trust him with my vehicle. I can trust him with more money. I can trust him with more freedom to make his own decisions. But then the highest level of relationship is pleasing God. I want to please him. That's what Paul would talk about in this. And so anointed, does, does he make those choices for you first? And then ultimately it's experiencing resurrection life and spiritual power. Everything that's in the Christian life, our fellowship, our discipleship, our experience of the cross, our supernatural encounters and communion, our answered prayers, are connected to praying in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and experiencing because he's here and because he's alive 
and because he's with us. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom, is not about choosing to follow good advice. It's about being called to follow and obey the King and Lord of all. Our highest allegiance, our greatest love, our strongest loyalty is not to an organization, church, denomination, political party. It's not even to our own ethnicity. It's to the Lord Jesus Christ first. We are kingdom people with a high, holy, heavenly calling. And when you end up there, you become very clear on the purpose for which God encountered me, saved me, I surrendered to him, and he's sending me back into this world for. It's no different than Paul. You're a chosen vessel. He made a decision, and his first choice was tag, you're it. His first decision was, I want to use you. I choose you. God doesn't just, he just doesn't use technology and screens. This can come and this can go. He uses people. He anoints people. He lives in you and he lives in me and he ministers through us. So you have to know he's chosen you to be his instrument, his witness, his minister. But then look at the priorities he gives you. If you're in lordship, if you're apostolic New Testament, you're here for the Gentiles. Wow, you mean I'm not at church number one for myself? No, you're here for his lordship. His honor and glory, 2 Thessalonians 2.14. God called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, then who else am I here for? You're here for the lost. You're here for the ethnicities, for the nationalities, for the diversity that surrounds us in this culture. And when lordship comes into your life, you found out Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And he got a hold of me so that I can be a part of seeking and saving them too. But see, it's not enough to just have a heart for Jesus and for the lost. Lordship gives you a heart for leadership. We're going to develop marriages and raise godly families. We're going to disciple people to be leaders in the community. We're believing for ministry to kings, and we're going to train and equip in our equip classes for people to influence, for people to serve, and for Jesus to be glorified. That's what this is about. You know, when Jesus is Lord and we receive kingdom in its place let me close with this i know i need to close we've been here a long time all authority in heaven and earth was given to jesus the first time the first time he's not going to have all authority in heaven and earth when he comes back the second time he got all authority the first time that's lordship and kingdom all power for Pantatai ethne, for all people groups, for all ethnicities, for all generations, all cultures, all nations. See, each month, Christians spend thousands of hours trying to encourage and counsel carnal people that don't believe Jesus is a Lord, that he is here, or that he rules and reigns and wants to be king of their life. They don't need advice. They need a crucifixion. They need an encounter with Jesus that is love, that is goodness, and that shows us a cross and a king, a cross and a crown. That all of hell, all sin, all death, all demonic because of the cross and the blood, it's done away. Has no authority here. Not right here. A cheap Christianity without cross is always a useless Christianity without a a crown. No authority, no anointing. God has better for you. A nail-pierced hand holds the scepter of the universe. 
and he extends it to us for forgiveness and healing and to anoint us and send us in a calling under his lordship of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Most people want to God bless America. We just don't want one nation under God. Lordship. Jesus is Lord. Well, then Caesar is not. If Jesus is Lord, you are not. If Jesus is Lord, we are not. And no one else and nothing else is. He alone is worthy. No one else can open the seals. Did you know the early Christians in the first few centuries of the book of Acts, they weren't persecuted and killed because they worshiped Jesus. They were persecuted and killed because they worshiped Jesus only. No other gods, no other kings, no Caesar, no prince, no ruler of my life, but the one who has won me and shown his power and authority in love and in goodness. And then he sent his spirit to be Lord in our time and Lord over our lives. C.S. Lewis said, there's no reason to say you trust in Jesus or believe he's Lord if you're not gonna take his advice and, and do what he asks you to do. Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm gonna send a disciple to you and he's gonna tell you what you need to do. You're gonna do discipleship and you're gonna read your Bible and you're gonna experience me and you're gonna be changed. Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf, I like big names. 1700s, backslidden. Goes to an art museum, backslidden in college, goes to an art museum in Dusseldorf and finds himself in front of a famous painting called the Ecce Homo, that means behold the man. It's a picture of Jesus being taken down from the cross, lifeless, empty, held by people, drops of blood coming out from his hand. And Sinzendorf sees this picture of the finished work of the cross and the Holy Spirit falls on him in an art museum and he drops on his knees right there. And the inscription at the bottom, at the, at the bottom said, all this I have done for you. What have you done for me? And he experienced lordship and went on his face in that place. And he said, I will do what you want me to do. I will be who you want me to be. I will go where you want me to go. And he got up and went and started rescuing persecuted Christians until August 27, 1727. An outpouring came on their community communion service on his property. And the Holy Spirit fell on them. And in 27 years, they planted more churches and sent more missionaries than all the Christians alive had in 1,500 years. A prayer meeting started in their communion service that never stopped for 100 years. And it all happened because of an experience of lordship an encounter with the one true living God and a surrender to whatever you desire. It's for you. Lord, bless these men and women. Lord, this morning we relinquish ownership of our lives, of our finances, of our decision-making. We want to experience the holy relief and the supernatural empowering of surrendering to your good and loving presence and purpose so that your power will rule. Lord, we're no longer our own, we're yours. 
We're beloved and we belong to one another, but you're sending us to seek and save the lost, to be leaders and influences that extend your glory and your authority and anointing to others. We say, have your way and be glorified. We wanna please you and fulfill your kingdom purpose. Fill us and seal us with the Holy Spirit and protect us with the power of the blood and be glorified. We trust you in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really believe God spoke to you through his word today and is moving in your life. If you'd like more information about Encounter Church or you'd like to give your tithes and offerings, you can visit our website at EncounterChurchAtlanta.org. I'd also like to invite you to share this message on social media. Thanks again.